Welcome to Wattpod. It's the show where three adults give each other a book report. What should I say? I don't know how to start this because normally I'm like, this is our comedy show and it's not really I mean, the right thing to I do right now is to do a comedy that, show. That right there encapsulates, I'm not sure yeah. how to do this. Right. Yeah. So that's that's what you guys get. Sorry. It's not the most polished, but we never promise to be professional. We only promise to do our best. This week we have Chad James joining us. Hi, Chad. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. <laughs> it's, a, it's a loaded question. Sure Chad. enough. Well, I'm happy to be on the podcast. How about that? Thanks, Chad. I'm so glad to have you too. <laughs> and of course, we have Chelsea Harfoos joining us as always. Chelsea, how are you? Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing it. It's the end of Sunday and uh, Chelsea spent today at the protest. So I would love to give you a bit of space to talk about how that was. <sighs> now, today, yeah. was, today was huge. So here in Austin, Austin Justice Coalition, organize a big kind of rally starting at Houston Tillotson University and then moving towards the Capitol. And the turnout was immense, which was really impressive because it was, oh, I cannot stress this enough, hot. Yeah. You know, nobody wanted to be that person that's like complaining at a protest, but like it's kind of unavoidable when it's like 1 p.m., and the sun is on you, and you know, Texas and it's 95 heat. degrees. Yeah. yeah. I think it's so beautiful that like, because, you know, something that we've been talking about and I think has been on a lot of people's minds is like, if we really want to have major change, that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And yeah, we don't this is want a movement, it. not a moment. Exactly. And we don't want, you know, people to kind of like come out once or twice and mm-hmm. and get like their Instagram photo or whatever and then be and then kind of forget about it. God, those stories um, piss me off. Or Sorry. or if yeah. you handle Jenna have a have a sign uh, photoshopped into your protest photo. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, super cool. So, we were talking about that, you know, that's something that's been kind of on our minds like all week is just like, gosh, like do you really think like is this time the time? Like is this the one where we're going to are we going to be able to do, do it? And then to see 10,000 people show up in 95 degree heat during a pandemic make me, makes me feel like maybe, hopefully, this is maybe the one. Maybe it could be. Yeah. Maybe it could be. Before we go into our mini game, I have a quick... Is it a present? Is it a gift? Yeah, a quick gift. Just a, okay. a, just a quick gift. Uh, it's an it update. Oh. I have an update, Ellie, about Forrest Fenn. <gasps> no way. Not another one. And you're going to hate it. <laughs> Great. So it came out in the Denver Post today. Oh. It was reported by the Denver Post. June 7th, 2020. That Forrest Fenn's treasure has finally been found. No. So then I went and looked. But here's the thing. So I went and read the article with bated breath. Oh, God. It's according to Forrest Fenn. Forrest Fenn told the Santa Fe, New Mexico on Sunday that a man who did not want his name released but was from back east located the chest a few days ago and the discovery was confirmed by a photograph. So we haven't seen or heard from anybody who says that, that they have Forrest found Fenn it. Forrest Fenn drew. Yeah. Forrest Fenn just says, oh yeah, no, don't look for it anymore. Somebody found it. Just trust me on this one, guys. And his name is McCullish Tickfurlish. And <laughs> yeah. he found and all the treasure. It. And it's his What now. a disappointing end. This is like reddit safe all no over way. again oh yeah everyone's all hyped up what could possibly be in the safe for like two weeks and the guy gets into there and, you know what it is a spider a dead spider Fenn <laughs> was like in the in very much in the vein of jk rowling which we don't need to talk about but forest Fenn was like oh it just kind of seems like people aren't paying attention to me right now um <laughs> hey oh, guess yeah. what they found my treasure y'all not only that this is when i really started to think it was sus is this was his mm. quote when they asked him like oh where do you find it like what what happened he goes it was under a canopy of stars in the lush forested vegetation of the rocky mountains and had not moved from the spot where i hid it more than 10 years ago i do not know the person who found it but the poem in my book led him to the precise spot <laughs> uh 
Um, <laughs> and again, you can buy my book uh, at this Amazon link. Twas laying out <laughs> under the stars, just resting there. Resting under the stars exactly where I said it was. So on a rock under a giant it. sign that says, here lieth my treasure. <laughs> yeah. He's like a lying piece of shit. <laughs> He's like, oh, my poem? Oh, my poem led him right to it. And he I, found I, it. So I guess you doubt that he was ever even sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Ellie's laying it down. I mean, you know, these are the times that we live in and everyone just seems to lie about everything that you can apparently prove. We opened the box and inside was a mirror because he was the greatest treasure. I'll kick us off. So, Chad, are you familiar with our minigame? Go, tell me. Give me the rundown. Oh, oh, well, oh dear. Well, so we share the title of our topic, and the other people have to guess what it could be. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, if you haven't. Okay, good. My topic. Oh, it's close to heart. It's called We've Got to Tell the Unvarnished Truth. Well, that could be a million things. Yes, Chad, that's kind of the point. (laughs) (laughs) That's so vague. It is very vague because honestly, I couldn't have been less vague without just telling you what is unvarnished a clue the title itself Woodworking. is a quote is oh, it no, about no. jesus not a pun oh no i wish a blunt article on racism in america Ooh, now you've really hit on something quite interesting there no i'm lost yes for the first bit and then no a blunt article we've got to tell the unvarnished truth is a quote about something that is very much current in the news right now and also something that I've shared several times on this podcast that turns out I was completely wrong about. Literally until that moment, I thought it was police brutality. And then something you've shared that you're wrong about. I don't know. You've stumped me. My title, which I am proud of this time, Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls. <gasps> don't go chasing waterfalls. A story of one-hit wonder bands. Okay, the fact that you think TLC. I just. Is a oh yeah, that's right. Never mind. Sorry. That's right. I, for, I forgot it was TLC. Is it about? Is it anything about climate change? Like obviously. Ooh, that's good. Nature. No. Is it about? Is it about Niagara Falls? It is not about Niagara Falls. Is it about Falls? people oh, who go around checking out all the waterfalls? Chasing waterfalls. Yeah, literally. You know what, Chad? <gasps> Once again, you are close. I do feel like you've kind of stumbled backwards into it, but Ooh. you're getting close. It is about people who check out waterfalls. Okay. Do they like whitewater rafting? No. Damn. They're not cool. They, okay, not cool. <laughs> people who study waterfalls? It is about people who go around and study waterfalls, but it's not the kind of waterfall that you think. Is it the thing where everyone has to drink until the person before them stops oh, drinking? A study on oh, drinking no, games? But I, yeah. I wish... Can you imagine if your job was to go around the country and like check out different drinking games? New, sh- yeah. new show coming soon. <laughs> Devil at the Crossroads. Ooh. Oh, you just like came out with that? You son of a bitch. <laughs> I've just, started, I've just started reading The Stand. Is it about The Stand? No. Oh, I know. Is it about that spot in San Antonio where it's train tracks and it's really flat, but if you put your car in neutral, the little kid ghost <gasps> will like push your car over the tracks. <laughs> no, and I've never heard oh, of we that. we talked about because that. they all died in a bus. Oh man. Yeah, apparently you get pushed by ghosts. Yeah, and then if you dust um, your back bumper, there's little kid hands on it. Ghosts could <gasps> sort no of way. be related in one of the legends. Oh my regarding god! This. Oh my god! Ghosts. Devil at the crossroads is. <laughs> 
<laughs> for some reason, uh, the final scene of Castaway just came into what? Yeah, mind. It's... Well, yeah, everybody knows is the Tom Hanks the is moment? the devil. Is it about the moment where Tom Hanks has to choose which way he's going to go on the crossroads and then the movie ends? And you're like, <laughs> whoa, it's it's a metaphor for like his emotional state. <laughs> No. And how he yes. has to leave Helen Hunt behind because she can't wait for his ass. You know that Helen Hunt's character will now Helen's never Hunt's... be able to look at her new husband the same, and she will yeah. always think about what could have been with Tom Hanks. For sure, mm-hmm. it has ruined her marriage. All right, so we've all agreed <laughs> that that's what Chad's topic is so about. It's about, yes, it's about Tom Hanks uh, and the uh, the problematic relationship in Castaway. that today as part of the Black Lives Matter demonstrations and the George Floyd protests a statue that had looked upon the city of Bristol since 1895 was dumped into the harbour did you guys see that? I didn't see we did not in England? (laughs) in England they toppled a statue of a slave trader in Bristol and they dumped it in the harbour holy shit I know there's been a lot of protesting around a bunch of different statues especially like in the south that Mm -hmm. are quite problematic Uh, yeah mm -hmm. and you know there's been man uh, talks to like a lot of cities have been like yeah we're gonna take it down uh and then people are still like defacing it but i hadn't i had not heard that Mm -hmm. somewhere somebody they were just like you know what we're not waiting we're taking this thing straight to the river yep they pulled it down with a bunch of ropes they hauled it to the harbor and they threw it in damn i didn't realize that y'all still fucked like that like like, (laughs) nope So, yeah, the guy was called Edward Colston. Uh-huh. He was born in 1636 to a wealthy merchant family, became prominently involved in England's sole official slaving company at the time, the Royal African Company, and Bristol was the heart of that. Cool. The company transported tens of thousands of Africans across the Atlantic Ocean, mainly to work the sugar plantations in the Caribbean and cultivate the tobacco fields that were burgeoning in the new North American colony of Virginia. And each enslaved person had that company's initials branded onto their chest. Jesus. Obviously, there are a bunch of gross racists and white supremacists being like, this is a travesty, how could they do that? And the lone surviving relative of Edward Colston <laughs> retweeted it and said, uh, this is totally fine. Good. Like, they, sh- Good. they yeah, should be doing yeah. this. So I was reading about this today and it got me thinking about the thing I've said several times on our podcast here in history when we're growing up we're very honest about our history and it turns out that that's complete bollocks actually oh no what did you learn i learned so many things a lot of this research came from a bbc culture article and so some of the language that i'm going to be using was it was just so well written that i'm going to be borrowing some of their phrases because i thought it was excellent there is often a slight whiff of self-congratulation in the uk when it comes to the idea of slavery, because we abolished it 32 years ahead of the US, where the legacy of slavery is still much more of an open wound. Far less known is the enormous cost of this decision for the taxpayer. The British government spent 20 million pounds, staggering 40% of its budget in 1833, to buy freedom for slaves, which is equivalent to about 20 billion pounds today. And that's one of the biggest ever government bailouts ever. The cost was so high that the loans the government took out to fund it were paid off in 2050. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> right. With that money, that money didn't go to the slaves. It went to repay the owners for their property. Oh. So the British taxpayer until 2015 was paying off debts that the government racked up in order to compensate British slave owners for their loss of property. How could you accept that in this day Because we age? didn't know. 
They're just like, here's that no random check from the government, honey. Great. Right. Yeah. Records show that ancestors of former Prime Minister David Cameron uh, and author George Orwell profited at the same uh, at the time from these massive payouts. Prime Minister William Gladstone, who we talked about a few episodes ago as the guy who did the whole big study on um, Homer Homer's poetry and the colours and stuff. Right. He helped his father claim £106,000, which is a payment of £83 million in today's money. So you guys did, like, reverse reparations. Yes. Jesus. Until t- oh. t- till 2015. What's even more shocking is that supposedly free slaves were, in fact, committed to 6 to 12 years of further service as unpaid apprentices, which is the same, same thing. thing. And it wasn't until 1838 that these were abolished as well. Journalist turned playwright Juliet Romero read about this bailout and was so stunned she knew she had to write a play about it and help put the story back in the public consciousness. She said, what blew me away was here was I, a working woman, a descendant of the transatlantic slave trade, and I helped pay off this massive loan. Oh, God. (laughs) When you put it that way, it's so... Yeah. Every single person who paid tax contributed to paying back slave trade. Oh. Till 2015. The Romero, her parents came to the UK from Trinidad and Barbados in the 1960s during that whole movement that was like, return to the motherland. So she decided she wanted to write this play. Her play called The Whip, was commissioned by the Royal Shakespeare Company and opened in Stratford-upon-Avon in February 2020, which is when this article came out. Romero fictionalised various real-life characters from the battle to get the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833 through the House of Commons. And she says, I'm trying to bring in many elements of our history. It's not a single issue play. Even if she was horrified by the realisation that she'd been paying off this compensation, she also appreciated that hard decisions did have to be made in an incredibly volatile period of history. So she goes as she goes as far to be like, I understand that this was a deeply complex issue. And to England, this was the only way that this could be done. She goes on to explain that a little bit. She says, it's complex. Parliament knew that the empire's economy couldn't continue to draw its wealth off the back of slavery which is admirable, but it was cold-eyed and pragmatic. Because slaves were property, owners had to be compensated. If they hadn't been, blood might have been shed over the huge loss of profit for slave owners, as happened in the US. In the United, right. In the United States, the issue kept going to Congress and they couldn't come to an agreement. And as a result, they had a civil war and 600,000 people died. Right. So while Parliament managed was flawed, look at it in the context of what happened in America. So what I found to be interesting was that I had never, ever heard about this. I had no idea that slavery was so prevalent in the British Empire. I had no idea in context of what happened in the US and how, you know, how those two issues were like very similar, but very different at the same time. And most people didn't until 2015 when the HM Treasury tweeted, here's today's surprising hashtag Friday fact. God. Millions of you have helped end the slave trade through your taxes. The amount of money borrowed for the Slavery Abolition Act was so large that it wasn't paid off until 2015, which means that living British citizens helped pay to end the slave trade. Oh my that God. Is, that is through Twitter. That is one way to spin it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, but wow. Yeah. Through Twitter. So oh. through Twitter. And that was the thing that was super interesting was that it was definitely spun that way that it was like, we sure all helped to end slavery. All of us retroactively. Right. Like you all did your part. Right. Through your taxes that you didn't know were being paid to slave owners as like insurance, basically. Yeah. God, that is so uh, unbelievably fucked up. I mean, right? God, it is complicated because- The Civil War in America was horrible. Like, Mm -hmm. it was our deadliest war. 
because yeah. both sides of the casualties were Americans mm-hmm. and it's still a source of contention you know because like I grew up like in the deep south like I'm from Louisiana mm-hmm. where people do like sport confederate flags and like put them on their cars and stuff like that and when you ask somebody I remember asking my dad about it when I was young because when I finally got old enough to understand that it was like from the civil war I just thought it was so strange because it was the losing side and I was like why would people want to put that on their cars like that's about (laughs) like slavery and like civil war and he was like well it's a point of pride for certain I'm not excusing my dad Uh, he was like it's a point of pride because the North came in and they told us what to do and we said no. Yeah, but what you're doing was really, really fucked up. Yeah. So like, oh, no. I'm, <laughs> not, I'm not excusing no, I know, it I know. at all. What I'm saying right. is like, that's what it has warped into. Like when mm-hmm. you hear people say states rights, it was. They look at it as like a rebel flag, right? You know, it's yeah. not. It's not yeah. yeah, it's what they call it. Like we're the rebels. Like uh, my stepmom, her high school was like, their mascot was the rebels up until like two or three years ago. And they like, w- the person like, wore a confederate flag and they played that like dixie song oh, God. whenever like the yeah no like 100 percent. and so i think that wound has still not healed because we haven't been able to drag those people into the 21st century they're still clinging to this rift right they're still mm-hmm. clinging to this wound yeah yeah and like you said like the the British way of dealing with it makes me feel icky, but it was very cold-blooded very and pragmatic, pragmatic. Yes. Of just like, oh, well, I will throw money at this until we don't do this anymore. Until it's not a thing anymore. Yeah. Right. And so, so yeah, I was looking into like, I why didn't I know? Why wasn't I told this growing up? Why didn't I learn this in history? Because I didn't want to talk about it because like, if they well, had talked about it and like educated people, I'm sure some people would have been like, this is messed up. We need to stop this. This is like, up. An estimated 2.3 million African slaves were sent to the British Caribbean. But compared to narratives about the US, these stories have rarely been told. And there are some obvious historical reasons for that. So because US slavery took place in the US, like on home turf, it has a more visible ongoing legacy. Whereas for Britons, most of it happened thousands of miles away. So it was in British owned colonies and British owned islands that African slaves and the majority were sent to. So the legacy and the stories and everything that happened that was awful seems so much further away that it's much more easy to be like, that was a different time, that was a different place, right? Whereas for America, it was like, it's right here in the States where we are right now. Right. This country was built by slaves. Exactly. And it's also about a global stage. We hear about Black Americans, but we don't hear the British stories because, mostly because of Hollywood. Like, unless we're telling these stories, people don't know. There's much more high-profile body of work exploring slavery in the US, basically. Mm-hmm. best-selling novels like uh tony morrison's beloved shows like roots movies like 12 years a slave although wasn't um, that a british director that's the thing is that it's still an american story yeah so we saw that was an american production but it was right. a, a british writer but even so it was still like oh this is a story about america this is a story yeah. about what happened in america and how and what it was like right because our government did such a good job we were just like no more slaves and they just paid it all out and everything was fine they took we the biggest off, hit no one... to the country and man what a great thing that we did we are so superior and then ooh. so here's a question <laughs> and you might not have the answer to it ellie yeah, so I would just wonder, and I I don't know enough about UK governance to know if this is a thing. So like as you've as you probably noticed in like the last few years that you've lived here, whenever we have like our budget come up, it yeah. becomes this big partisan fight, right? Where it's yeah. like whoever's in control says like this is what we're gonna do with the budget, and then the the opposition 
will say, well, we're not going to pass that because it has this, this, and this in it, and we don't like it, and you need to take it out. And it becomes, uh, yeah. and it's one of the only ways in which, like, most, like, modern Americans find out anything about what's going on in the fucking budget for the, for the country <laughs> right. um, is because they hear that like their favorite senator was like I'm not gonna pay for whatever this okay. is I'm just wondering like if there was ever a time where like in like the shadow minister who I just learned about and I'm obsessed <laughs> with the shadow minister was like we're not paying for these slaves anymore that's something that I super don't understand so each year the chancellor of the exchequer makes the budget statement to the house of Commons, and they outline like where the economy's at and what the government wants to do and where they want to tax and blah, 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 blah. And then they debate it back and forth forever and ever and they scrutinize each part of it and then it gets put into like a red box with the queen's signal on it and it gets sent to the queen and she's like, yes, okay, fine. Like, <laughs> but <laughs> I am like... It feels All like that to sounds me, real. Go on. Yes. I, <laughs> I know, does it not yeah. sound like the choosing of a wizard. And it feels like to me that they should be like, hold on a second. What's this underlined dot, dot, dot. Let's pay the slave owners back still. Like that. Yeah. yeah that has never seemed to hit the news that I am ever aware of. So it's very confusing to me and something I would definitely like to dig in more, but I don't have the answer currently. Go do a documentary. We have learned more extensively about US slavery through art, through movies, through Hollywood, through plays and books and just more stuff that's been publicized much more widely from America. Mm -hmm. But it's not like we didn't have the material in England at all. This made me feel a little bit sick, so buckle up a second. British poet William Cowper captured the ethos of the nation when he quipped, I pity them greatly, but I must be mum, for how could we do without sugar or rum? Oh. Yeah, essentially sweetening coffee and tea took precedence over human life and set the right. tone for Oof. how they really felt about it. It was like, oh, it's a shit, it's a terrible shame, but what are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, as I lift my tea. But as we obviously seeing through this movement that we're, ha that we're going through right now, literally currently as we speak, and because this article came out in February 2020, it feels like we've been ramping up to... Britain's involvement starting to be subject to greater attention, which I think is a great thing. And stories are beginning to nudge their way into the public consciousness. And I hope now that they are going to be leapfrogging their way due to what is happening. Yeah. And The Whip, the play that I mentioned earlier, is in fact one of several British slavery narratives to get a high profile airing. Andrea Levy's 2010 novel, The Long Song, was made into a BBC drama at the end of 2018. And that looked at the final years of slavery in Jamaica and life there after the abolition of slavery. Sarah Collins's Confession of Franny Langton, which is a Gothic novel about a slave on a Jamaica plantation who was sent to London, just won a Costa First Novel Award. There's an amazing wave of work by black British creatives that are finally looking at Britain's colonial legacy as it applies to slavery. There's a play by Selena Thompson called salt if we may chelsea i would love to include links to that stuff in the show notes for today oh i think that would be great that's a that's a great idea for some resources to add yeah because the point that i really wanted to make was that a lot of these plays and a lot of these pieces of art have um come up to the end of their t their show time a lot of them finish their runs in april and march and may of this year and i think it would be incredible with whatever little clout that we have as a little podcast to maybe set up a petition to ask for the return to the stage and return into the limelight uh, as we go through this moment of saying that like these plays and these pieces of art should get a second run because we should be able to be we should be pointing out the truth of what happened in England and not just let this be an American story because it's not an American story so let me just finish by saying that Britain formally abolished the slave trade in 1807 by an act of parliament but slavery itself was only formally outlawed in British territories in 1834 
before. According to UNESCO, overall 30 million slaves were uprooted from Africa and sold in the New World, the Caribbean and the Americas during the 400 year span of the transatlantic slave trade. But what a lot of people don't know is that only 5% of those people went to America. 55% were sold to Brazil and Spanish South America and 35% were sold to the West Indies and the rest were sold to Britain. And yet the American narrative is first and foremost. That's crazy. Wow. Sorry, you mentioned this and you mentioned Jamaica and that made me think, I, oh man, this will be something if I come back on, maybe I'll talk about this with you guys, if or maybe you guys can cover it if I'm not on, uh, while we're just dunking on Britain. Uh, did you hear yeah. about the 81-year-old inmate uh, who died in a Jamaican prison after spending 40 years in there without trial? What? Oof. Nope. No. He was held at pleasure of Her Majesty and uh, received two checks of mental well-being ready fit for trial and was never seen and so he was in prison for 40 years and died at 81. whoa not a great look liz not a great look Mom. <laughs> sorry not awesome. that's a little there's a little tidbit you guys could dig into that further i'm sure on a future episode eleanor yes first of all i'm gonna give you five points for being on brand and bringing us something about england i do love when you like really lean into uh i'm the british one <laughs> thank and, you <laughs> It's it makes me. our show interesting. And also, it's an oopsie. Yeah, it's, it's like, this was something I held over all of my friends for so long, and now, oops. You have to own your oops. <laughs> yeah, you have to own your oops. I'm actually going to give you another two points for owning your oops, because I, Thank too, I, I didn't do that oops from a high, high horse like you did, but I did used to love, up until <laughs> this episode of what? I used to love spouting that kind of statistic all the time, just be like, yeah, well, you know, America was like 200 years behind the rest of the world in getting rid of slavery, and like, now yeah. I've learned that was not exactly true. Not true at all, in fact about yeah. 12 years really <laughs> some might say not true at all i'm gonna give you three points for delivery but i'm gonna take one point away because you said that you got almost all of us from like one source and uh wow and i just mean like you've set such a high bar for yourself that's in terms fair, of like fair, research it was just a really good and very well-rounded article and i, I know and that was it. your downfall <laughs> okay fair, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> I'll say let's give it five points. Five points for the Jeez. for the, the starting things out by I was wrong. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's, that's hard to do, uh, and the, to admit uh, that. And, and that's five just, points from Chad. Just five. Let's see. No, it's very interesting. Let's give three points because it's a very, very interesting topic and <gasps> okay, very, very okay, uh, okay. relevant to today. And I feel, you know what? An extra two points because you probably educated some people and inspired them to go look into their <laughs> issues pertaining to their country, even if it's yeah. Hmm. Look. Look into your depressing country's history, guys. Yeah, I encourage you. And then four points because I miss you. Wow! (laughs) Yay! Oh, you got to the place where she's happy again. (laughs) (laughs) Don't go chasing waterfalls. So, to get this started, what would both of you say... If I told you that you could cure every ache and pain, every illness, every infection, every systemic issue in your body with just a few household items. With snake oil. I'd say get back on your wagon and get out of town. Uh, that is the correct answer. You guys both win. Uh, you've won the game. That's because, you know, you guys are pretty smart. Oh, are they selling waterfall water? Hold on. <gasps> We're getting there. There are 60,000 people roughly 
who did believe it when somebody said this to them. No way. I am talking about one of the most interesting evolutions of snake oil in our modern (gasps) world, because in the past, yeah, it's been like some creepy guy on a wagon coming into <laughs> yeah. town telling people he's going to set up a band. Side note, I tried to explain like the plot of The Music Man to Connor and he just like, he like could not accept it. And I was like, <laughs> things were different in the 30s, okay? You could have a man that just came in and was like, yeah, you guys should have like a town band. And everybody was really into it. And they didn't ask for any qualifications from this man. Like, he's like, but why would a town have a band? And I was like, I don't know. You should have to watch the goddamn musical. My, my dad so, was anyway. in the musical, The Music Man. He played the Oh, yeah. The so he's guy. saying Shapoopy? Yeah, sure. I don't, I've never seen it. So anyway, now you don't even have to have the artifice of like a company or a lab yeah. or no, some location. Now you can just be an influencer. You can be a uh, snake oil influencer. Oh, God. And the of arguably one of the most destructive... <laughs> And most infamous snake oil influencers, Jillian Epperly and her Jilly Juice. Oh. <gasps> Jilly Juice, no fucking way. That sounds like, speaking of freaking JK Rowling, that sounds like some bullshit she would come up with. <laughs> oh, it's the Jilly Juice. Jilly yeah. Juice. That's because it sounds a it lot like Jilly Weed. It makes you so weed, thin. And that actually is. Oh, that's it. It does sound like, like Jilly Weed. Oh, he did. Like... He cracked that code. Um, Jilly Juice. Julie Juice popped that. up on Facebook. This is just like, <laughs> this is a woman with no like background in science, no qualifications, not a nutritionist. Yes. She starts making Facebook videos that are like Perfect. really charming and like they're sort of like unvarnished realism. It's usually her kind of pacing <laughs> back and forth in her house in like t-shirt and jeans or t-shirt and sweats explaining all this stuff and she's one of those people a lot like a lot of other snake oil salesmen that can just sort of speak in like this perpetual word salad that (laughs) i think for a lot of people really made them feel like you know she knew what she was talking about so spoiler Jilly Juice still very much a thing. She no. has a website. It's JillyJuice.com. Oh, I'm going there. Oh, to give you an idea of how she. I don't want this in my search history. <laughs> Jilly uh, Juice. So, just to give you an idea of the kind of word salad way that she talks about these things, here's some stuff that she wrote. This is on the front page of her website. Okay, about Jillian Epperly. A product of Generation X, Jillian has found the relationships between humanity, Jilly juice, the elements, biochemistry, and the microbiome, and found a balance between them all with very specific measurable results. She has debunked the elements just snuck in there. Look, humanity. Jilly juice, elements. the elements. She has, uh, it makes it sound real time QB, where she's like, she has debunked even her most staunchest critics with pure science. When her critics <laughs> exhibit imbalances in their body, mind, and spirit, they resemble broken clocks, which are correct twice a day in a 24 hour period. They <laughs> no. may be right about some things, but their pessimistic views regarding the elements of Jilly juice have been debunked through science and academic peer reviewed publications. That's not true. If you want to know more, <laughs> consider researching her info in her book then she writes the jilly juice protocol because she calls it it's the protocol uh, like you have to follow the okay, protocol it's a protocol trust the protocol which you is must. just drinking like basically going on a juice fast where you only drink her jilly juice which she will sell you the recipe to for 35 dollars. i'm sure she will what 
<laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna scam people, don't be like, but one time. Like you're supposed to get them hooked and be like, listen, you need the regiment. Like you gotta follow that protocol, right? And it's gonna it's gonna be at least six months of jelly juice, and you can order it for ten dollars. You know, like every week. Like, but no, she's like, or oh, just pay me thirty five bucks, and you can, I'll teach you okay. the fucking secret. Well, <laughs> thirty five bucks into, per ingredient. It also gets you into the secret Facebook group. Oh, good. If you pay the money, she's like, it's not about making money. I just needed to know that people were like serious and not coming in to like be like spies. Chelsea, when is it ever about making money? It's never about oh, never. making money. <laughs> so you guys will be happy to hear that the uh, evolved jelly juice protocol for June 2020, it says, according to the website, focus will be on how the elements on the periodic tables impact biodiversity. Tables? Yeah. There's, oh, tables yeah, plural. You only know about the first one? Fool. <laughs> uh, transferring and converting different forms of energy triggering biochemistry. <laughs> and anybody, mm. anybody could figure that out. Yeah. You have energy, it triggers uh, biochemistry, and you're duh. better. Oh, and the periodic tables. But, but the key was juice. And the key was <laughs> you juice. You can't connect them without juice. For like around $35, she'll, she'll give you this protocol. $70 an hour, she'll get on the phone with you and help you understand oh, why it's not working. What is this backwards so, ass? She'll troubleshoot. She'll <laughs> <Some> troubleshoot. <laughs> so, Hi, thank you for calling oh Leak Squad. So I hear that you've just been um, for three days repeatedly uh, shitting your brains out. Oh, it's funny you should bring that up. So you're <laughs> supposed that would not be an issue, Ellie, because you're supposed oh. to shit your brains out. Good, good, so good, 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 good. They call it people who are proponents of the protocol call this waterfalling. Oh. And it is, it is how. It's how you rid your body, primarily of candida. So the original idea was that candida was the thing that causes basically all illnesses. This is like not unique to jelly juice. I've actually heard about this like several times, including from an absolutely insane ex of mine. But there there are a group of people who think that candida, which does grow naturally all over our body, it's just like one of the many flora that we have in our body at all times. Some people think, oh, well, you have a balance of candida, and if you have too much, then like everything will be out of whack. So blast that out, yeah. Yeah, if you have an overgrowth of candida in like one of your orifices, then that's like thrush or a yeast infection. So that can happen, but it doesn't typically happen in your gut. It's not something that you would just have like as like a low level systemic issue. You're either immunocompromised and you have an overgrowth of bacteria or you're not. Waterfall. This is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, so back to waterfalling. So this is what you wanna do. You want to take a bunch of cabbage. No. And you want to add a bunch of salt to that cabbage. Ugh. And then you want to put it in a jar full of water and you want to let it ferment for like uh. a few days. Oh, no. Until it becomes just like fermented cabbage slurry. And then you drink it. You drink only like huge jars of this. Like imagine like those giant ass pickle jars. You drink like four or five of these a day and you no. don't eat anything. No. And according to Epperly, in her original Facebook group, which has been since shut down, which was called, and this is like, gonna say it all in like one breath because there is really no punctuation, exposing the lies Candida weaponized fungus mainstreaming mutancy. Oh, oh she no. can see my face yeah. right now. Candida attracts parasites. And so what you need to do is use this cabbage <laughs> yeah, juice as a the way to purge your body of these parasites. So right. you will, when you do this, according to Epperly in her videos, you will experience healing symptoms. Those healing symptoms include nausea, headaches, dizziness, <laughs> and explosive blasts of diarrhea. <laughs> 
She really had to. She probably uh, got a lot of questions about that when she just said diarrhea. People were like, no, but you don't understand. No, it's- no, but seriously, like the force <laughs> of a small cannon, yeah. I am ruining my like, There is, There's an actual hole in my pants. But I mean, in some ways, I think this is like the dark brilliance of this jelly juice. I believe that for a large group of people, especially people who like don't have a lot of understanding of like medicine, having to endure something makes you feel like it's something's happening. Right. Right. So you're like, Oh yeah, God, like it just hurts so much. But that's how I know the parasites were leaving my body. They're like, I mean, look at keto. Like you feel like shit for a couple days, you know, and then it's amazing. Yeah. That's like you getting rid of all the bad stuff. It's like easy to visualize. Right. right? And speaking of visualizing, this is about to get really graphic. So I hope nobody's Uh, like eating food right now. Put down Um, a sandwich. So naturally, like I said, she quickly like amassed a following of these like devotees who are convinced that water falling is like the key to their the health and well-being. They start sharing stories and techniques. They start talking about how to do the protocol. And, and this is the wildest, they start sharing tons and tons of photos of their toilet bowls. <laughs> oh, no. No, no. no. diarrhea to show all the weird things that have been coming out of their bodies. No. And I will admit, I've like finally, like my curiosity got the better of me. <gasps> and I went and looked at some of these photos, which you can find online. And at first I was like, Okay, that those do look weird though. Like, what are these big pieces of cabbage stuff? Cabbage. No, hold on. It wasn't cabbage. Because you're just drinking the juice. So like, yeah, because it's just the juice of it. So like, they're not eating anything solid. So I was like, what are these like long white things? Because they'll be like, that's a parasite. Like that's an intestinal parasite that like doctors don't want you to know about or something. And I was like, okay, but what is that? So then I went and like looked it up because like I was like, obviously there's got to be like real doctors who are looking at these. This has gotten big enough. So they were like, and this like is the part that scares me the best they're um intestinal light that's what i was about to say because i was just about to say that it's artifacts from your intestinal lining because of the force of which you are you shit yourself pushing yeah shit through your large intestine it's not necessarily like super harmful it's not like they're like guts were necessarily getting like ripped up but it's just you have like a natural intestinal lining that usually you know kind of sloshes off like slowly time right uh, but no, you're just blasting that straight up. And you're just blasting that shit, oh, which is like awful. That's horrible. And in case you are inclined to believe I'm not. that this woman, Jilly of Jilly Juice, is just like a misguided or like confused person who's just trying to help people. With the best of intentions. Yeah, let me go ahead and dispel that for you right now. Here are some of the things that Jillian Epperly claims her Jilly Juice can cure. Cancer, Alzheimer's. Oh. Dementia. Racism. No, but homosexuality. Homosexuality is a form of mutancy. (gasps) You're a mutant and it will it will fix that for you. So there are people who give jelly juice to like their kids. No. Yeah. She also claims it can regrow limbs. So like if you've had an amputation. (laughs) If you do the protocol and you follow it exactly, that's insane. You will regrow. This is the thing when you're just like Jillian. Hey. Well, you don't have any proof of that. And she's like, well, you don't have any proof that it can't. Respectfully, sir. Nuh-uh. Oh, boy. Yeah. The story of Jilly Juice was kind of like an internet meme for a while, but it took off in a really horrible way after there was a BuzzFeed news article about it and talking specifically about 
a really dark part of the story, which is the death of Bruce Wilmot. Bruce Wilmot was a man who in 2017 was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, which is essentially like a death sentence. Pancreatic right. cancer is already Horrible. one of them. Yeah, one of them like deadliest My grandfather forms of cancer. So did mine. Uh, dark. Yep. Um, <laughs> he obviously, this is a terrifying diagnosis to get. Doctors have told him that there's basically nothing that they can do and that they want to focus, you know, on making the rest of his time more comfortable. He doesn't want to accept this. He doesn't want to die. So he starts researching all different kinds of alternative medicines. And unfortunately, he came across Jilly Juice. He gets super excited. He gets the protocol. He turns his entire apartment into like a fermentation station. He buys a second refrigerator just to store more of it. And a second toilet. He sends his daughter photos of like all this protocol. He's like, I'm so excited. It's gonna be so great. Uh, His daughter found like correspondence between Bruce and Jillian, where she was like, I'm here with you. We're going to like cure this cancer. It's going to be great. Uh. He wrote to her, look at my cancer cure. This stuff should work. Hope you're doing good today. Uh, His daughter came to visit him and she was horrified. She said he looked completely emaciated. He had been basically starving himself. And then less than a month after starting the protocol, he died. (gasps) Jillian was investigated. Unfortunately, like he was already sick. And that was what she says is she was like, well, I mean, he was just too far along in his cancer. And that's why the jelly, jelly juice didn't work. And then everyone's like, yeah, but you say that like it can cure anything. So apparently not anything because worst case scenario, you contributed to the death of this man by encouraging him to starve himself instead of like going to the doctor. But even best case scenario, you're saying it just didn't work. Like he died of cancer. It is well. Oh man, that poor guy. For the last like month of his life, he was just waterfalling his brains out he was just desperate not to die of cancer and he would try anything that's the scary part about people who prey on that yeah people who prey on it and then especially like in this day and age a bunch of people after this happened after the death of bruce wilmot they went to the fda and they were like do something and they were like what do you want me to do she's not selling this to people she doesn't have a restaurant she is just like a woman on facebook who told people to drink cabbage juice and some of them did they gave her an official warning (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and said but it was from the ftc not the fda because they were basically saying like you're saying dangerous things on your website you need to review your statement oh my god uh, because it's against wow. the law to make health claims whether directly or indirectly through advertising or other means without adequate scientific support at the time the claim but see, the problem is it doesn't matter because she's already amassed the following and then no matter what she does and if she revises yeah. it they're gonna be like oh they just tried to keep her down but we know the truth exactly because there is of course a part of like the jelly juice cult she calls it a poop cult Ugh. that Ugh. like you know definitely has this idea that like the government is trying to keep you poisoned so that you'll spend all this money on you know they're in it with the pharmaceutical companies and so they're trying to keep you sick and the jelly juice is the way to break that cycle and of course they don't want the truth to come out on that it's wild if you really want to have like a buck wild night i highly suggest you go online and find when she was on dr phil so i'm not saying that dr phil is like a paragon of like truth and integrity but even he was like are you fucking serious <laughs> <laughs> Also, two women who had who had followed the protocol confronted Jillian on Dr. Phil's show and talked about how they had stroke symptoms, their blood pressure skyrocketed because they were also basically like salt poisoning themselves, right? Yeah. Like, this is a fermented drink so full of salt. So much sodium, yeah. So much sodium. The woman confronted her and said, 
she went to the doctor because she felt so horrible. They did an MRI and they were able to definitively see that they, she had had two strokes oh. recently because of this hypernatremia. And Jillian's response on the show was that that's, those are the symptoms of detoxing the parasites and uh, you didn't die. Oh. So, what? Yeah. And no. the woman responded, no, I didn't die. Am I supposed to die to prove your theory? And so basically Jillian's like response, which is like, this is like the, I don't want to say beauty, but like, this is how these kind of scams work is that she's just like, well, you didn't go far enough. Like all you're doing is like proving my point, which is that this is, this has like a profound effect on your body. You weren't willing to go all the way. And that's why it didn't work for you. What? What a monster. Yes. So those are the waterfalls that you should not go chasing. I expect us to guess that. (laughs) <laughs> no but it was really fun i'm gonna start off by giving you just four points alone for the title because yeah. incredible yes. just incredible yeah. work there yes. three points for the mutant slash uh intestine lining that people pooped oh. out yeah minus one point this fucking awful woman True. but add one point back because Something has to shock Dr. Phil, and I'm glad that this was it. He was so mad when she said it could regrow limbs. I bet he was. (laughs) He was like, there's only going to be one batshit doctor on this show. (laughs) Look, look now, listen, lady. Chelsea, five points for shock value. Yes. (laughs) Three points for title. Incredible. I'm going to give you an extra two points, hoping that you've warded off some one of these listeners from participating and some sort of oh, yeah. snake Please don't, oil guys. Yeah, don't, guys, don't. Please don't shit yourselves. That's from me to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chad. Tom Hanks, cast away, take All it away, right. babe. So it has nothing to do with that. You could not be further. Have you ever heard uh, of a man named Robert Johnson? No. I like documentaries. I like music. I'm into, I I play music and I like musical documentaries, right? So I saw this came up. It's a perfect collision of things. So Robert Johnson was a black blues musician in the early 1900s. And Hmm. before I tell you how crazy this gets, I'm just going to start with the history so that you can enjoy the turn when it happens. So he was born in 1911 in Hazelhurst, Mississippi. This is obviously like a generation, like pretty much one generation after slavery was abolished. Not Not doing great, great, especially in Mississippi. So his mom's original husband actually had to leave the state fleeing a lynch mob. Um, And so that then, and he never returned. She, I guess, kind of took up with a local lumberjack and then... Together, mm-hmm. they made Robert, right? Hell yeah. So between like... <laughs> Gotta take up with a local... <laughs> <laughs> right. So between like 1911 and 1920, uh, he and his mom like kind of travel all around the state just trying to find a place and like settle down somewhere until eventually okay. she remarries uh, to a sharecropper. And Robert did not want to go work uh, in the fields. Uh, no surprise. And so this is where more trauma starts happening uh, in addition to just like kind of wandering everywhere. So his stepfather was uh, allegedly beating him for like not wanting to be a part of that. Uh And so kind of his dream was to become a guitar player uh, and singer, right? Mm -hmm. So as he starts to get a little older, he starts wandering around just kind of trying to play music wherever he can with a guitar, but is like not good. Basically, it's like playing on the street corner and things like that. So at 17, uh, he meets a 15-year-old girl and they fall in love. They lie about their age and get married. (laughs) So she gets pregnant. Uh, and she goes off to her family to have the baby. Uh, and so he decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to go kind of like travel the road playing my guitar and then meet back up in time at her family's place in time for the birth. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, when he got there, uh, he was a little bit late and she had died in childbirth. 
And the family blamed uh, him for that. So they kind of threw him out. Again, not great times. This is Mississippi. It's very hard, uh, obviously, (laughs) at that time. Uh, Especially because, in addition to the rampant racism, blues music is considered the devil's music. So he's even persecuted by people of his own community just for playing, you know, blues music. So that's another reason why they they were pretty upset with her, you know, her dying and kind of blamed it on him because he was out just, you know, playing the devil's music instead of being there for her. Right. So at this point, he's like, all right, well, I'm going to dedicate myself to my music. And uh, so I'm going to keep going around. So he starts traveling a bunch more, starts playing a bunch more. Unfortunately, he still is very not good. (laughs) Right. Uh, So he would uh, hang around this local juke joint. Uh, where he idolized a couple of musicians. And one of them is a blues musician named uh, Sun House. So mm-hmm. Sun basically said that he would go up there when they were on break, grab the guitar and start trying to play. And the crowd would like literally like go get them and say, will you please get him off the stage? Because he was so bad. Oh, no. And so then they were like afraid he was going to like break a string on their guitar. So they would like shoo him away. Right. But he'd still come and hang around. So this happens for a little bit. And then he disappears for a year, almost a year. Okay. So nobody's seen them. Disappears and like totally disappears. Completely disappears. Like nobody has seen. Like, like he, this guy was following them around and like, you know, just hanging out and like trying to be a musician all over and literally just disappears, falls off the face of the earth for almost a whole year. Wow. Okay. So the next time somebody sees him, he comes walking into a juke joint that Sun was playing and he has got a, got a guitar on his back and he has to play with him. He was like, hey, give me a shot. And so they were like, ah, oh, what the hell? Why not? Right. He pulls out his guitar, which has a seventh string on it okay. and starts to play and absolutely blows everyone away. Every what? musician, every single person in there, Ooh. he's doing things with the guitar that no one had ever seen before. Riffs that would become like literally the pillar of blues and rock music. What? The way it was described when he's playing, it sounds like two guitars are playing at the same time. And one of the reasons it's attributed to is he had incredibly long fingers. So there's nice. the thing is he's also very secretive about it. There's so like people theorize like maybe he's using his thumb like over the top while he's literally playing like a whole another guitar part. So the thumb to do the bass on the top while he's playing the you know the the rhythm or the lead on below with the rest of his fingers. Mm-hmm. So impressive! Wow, right, <laughs> right. But like, literally, when people would start watching him play, he would, if he realized that they were trying to see what he was doing, he would turn his back or he'd stop playing. What? So he starts touring around, and literally, like everywhere he's playing, everyone is just completely blown. Like he became like the best guitarist that anyone had ever seen. You know that classic, like dun 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 dun, dun, dun yeah. that basic blues riff. Like that's what he was doing. Like no one had ever heard that before. And but he's doing like multiple things on top of that, and it's just like this crazy. Like everyone is like completely blown away, right? Okay. So as he's traveling around, people start talking about it, and they're like, you know what? What the <laughs> what the hell happened? Right. This dude was terrible and he disappears for a year uh-huh. and comes back and is like the greatest guitar player Incredible. in the world. Absolutely amazing. So, I mean, which there's <laughs> so two two things started going around. So one is that he went to the crossroads. The crossroads has a background in hoodoo as like a place where people would go to seek knowledge. And there's a bunch of different stories that revolve around that. Sometimes it's like you uh-huh. would meet the devil or other times you would just go and you would meet somebody or like, or you just go there and that's where you would seek knowledge from something, a spiritual thing, right? Uh, uh-huh. Well, so the first legend is that he went to the crossroads and he met the devil and that he handed the devil his guitar and the devil tuned it and said that if he played it, he'd be selling his soul. And so he took this it. This is just a tribute. <laughs> right, very that much, I right? Believe. <laughs> so... What's really interesting is a lot of his songs, there's a lot of hoodoo references in them, but I'll get to that. Interesting. Legend number okay. two is that he went off searching for his biological father and he came across the famous musician uh, Ike Zimmerman and they became friends. So the rumor is that they would play in the graveyard in the evenings because Ike said, no matter how bad you play, you're not going to offend anyone here. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, and that he also believed that the best way to learn the blues was to play on a gravestone <laughs> so that the spirits would come out and teach you. So oh. supposedly, that the other thing is that he just, on his way, you know, he came across him and they would just play in the graveyard every night. Uh, and it was his practicing with Ike that then taught him to be so good. But it's so, the thing is so crazy, like, that hearing, like, listening to the stories these of uh, people talking about, like, just how bad of a guitar player he was to, like, how right. insanely good he came. And, like, you, that's hard to do in a year. You know what I in mean? In one year, yeah. To become Even like if a... you were to practice, like, all the time, to become, like, a prestigious guitar player, it takes years and years and years and years of dedicated practice. Right. Yeah, this was literally the premise behind the show, the MTV show made, and those kids never got good at it. <laughs> <laughs> During, so, like, his traveling around, uh, he, he met a woman named Virgie, and then she got pregnant, but her parents were super, super religious, Ruh-roh. and they were like, hell no, you play the devil's music, you can't come around here. And she had a son. And he was like, little you know. Yeah, so <laughs> twice he tried to see his son, uh, and both times uh, he Aww, was no. shooed away by her parents, and he tried to like give them money. There's actually a really sad thing with the, his son talking about the last time he saw him was when he was seven and he still remembers it because he saw him outside the window where his grandfather was shooing him away so after that he was like all right fuck this everybody you know (laughs) says that like i'm playing the devil's music because keep in mind think about all the trauma he's gone through related to this right you know that's two relationships and with his children and like just a lot a lot of trauma and the Mm -hmm. abuse from his stepfather so he's like you know what fine i'll embrace it so he starts drinking like crazy womanizing and a lot, it's probably why a lot of his lyrics involve the devil or hoodoo references. But of course, this only adds to this legend, right? This dude who disappears right. for a year and comes back as like this savant of a guitar. And now he's singing about walking with the devil and like, uh, you know, things like that, right? Crazy. Yet what's even crazier is the, uh, his death. So he only ended up having two recording sessions and recorded a total of 29 songs because he died at the age of 27. Oh, no. Oh. So, Wait, 27 Club. <laughs> so apparently Da-da-da. he'd been sleeping with a married woman. Oopsie. And so one day at a bar, he was given a bottle of whiskey and the seal was broken. And a friend tried to like slap the bottle of his hand saying, hey, man, you should never drink out of an unused, uh, like an unsealed bottle. Especially uh-huh. keep in mind the times, like very, very scary. Yeah. And so his response apparently was, uh, and you don't ever slap a $7 bottle of whiskey out of my hand and then drink it. So <laughs> it was poisoned. Kind of badass. Oh, no. To this day, no one knows what happened, whether it was uh, the woman, the husband, even the barman. But he took him two to three days uh, of agony to oh, then die. No. Which this only then adds on to this theory of like, hey, oh. like, you know, that was the devil calling for his dues. Oh, oh no. This dude, like... People who were inspired by him are like, you know, legends like Muddy Waters, B.B. King. Like most people got to know those type of riffs and the things that he created through Muddy Waters and B.B. King who listened to uh, Robert Johnson. Then way later on down the line, Robert Johnson was re-released and Uh the studio guy who had re-released it, he would show it to people who he was recording like Bob Dylan and Eric Clapton who then have cited that, like, no he was a huge inspiration. So he's had these, like, two waves of, he not only influenced, like, the beginning, like, the big, huge things of blues and what became rock, to even, like, people more closer to nowadays, you know, like Bob Dylan and Eric Clapton. It's, like, uh-huh. it's wild. And as an extra interesting fact. We love that here. The musician John Hammond wanted to put together, like, a big show at Carnegie Hall. I think it was, like, 38, uh, 39. Mm-hmm. And so he sent a scout out to find Robert. And be like, hey, you know, we because he's recorded like what 38, 29 songs, right? And he's like, go find uh-huh. this guy. This guy's incredible. The scout goes out there and then finds out that 
Robert had just died. And so his death was six months prior to the date of the show. And so what they did instead was they opened the show. The curtains opened with a spotlight on an old Victrola. And they started the concert by playing Robert Johnson's songs to the audience. And apparently the audience, like, this is the first time they've ever heard it, you know, and they, like, all lost their minds. And it led to, like, a really mini resurgence of people trying to find out who he is. And then other people are, like, then hear about this guy and they try and find him and book him and he's he's dead. That's amazing, dude. Five points for that, chat For the relevancy. Oh, thank you. For the importance. Three points for storytelling. I was on the I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. <laughs> I love, love mystery. Two further points for the mystery itself. Yeah, that was super cool. Chad, I'm going to give you... I mean, may I call you Chadifer? You do anyway, so... <laughs> Chadifer? Yes. Six points. Ooh. Just to get started. Just mm. what a great debut, bringing something fun. It's mixing mystery, history, Ooh. music. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that did run. That was a problem. And, um, Can we give Chelsea an extra point just for that? Yep. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and then I'm going to give you another two points because it did give me an idea for like, what if we wrote, this is TM, 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 to anybody who's TM, listening. TM. Like a musical national treasure where it's like we find out oh, that there yeah. was a single video recording of him playing, but it's been lost and we have to go find it. And like, wouldn't That's that cool. be fun? That would be so fun. I am going to give you one more point. Because I miss your giant hot tub. Oh, thank oh. you. <laughs> That's a very personal. Literally the biggest sweet. hot tub I've ever seen inside a, a person's like private residence. It's a gorgeous guy, gigantic hot tub. Chad, thank you so much for being on this episode of What Pod. How can people find you? Oh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Chad James RT. Uh, you can also watch stuff that I do on Rooster Teeth or the Death Battle channel. And you should. As you should. <laughs> Chelsea, where can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche, wherever internets are sold. Mm-hmm. You can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and at Ellie Mainy on Twitter. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter and Instagram, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash WhatPod, and on our website at those two girls.club, uh, where we have our merch and how you can contact us if you would like anything to be said on the show. And please do. And come to the and social those two too. girls also do Twitch streaming. We do. Well, we, we do. It's been a minute. Sometimes. It's been a minute off of the pandemic. I want to try something out. I want to try out an ending based on, uh, have I told you guys about Kathleen Roberts' ghost host? No. No. Obsessed with this woman I found on TikTok. <laughs> and she is. Doesn't sound like you. She is. Okay, well, you know what? Don't you feel silly because she's the wife of Michael Jackson, the ghost. I do feel silly. <laughs> I, I feel silly. She's a medium. She, she met married? Michael Jackson, the ghost, and they got married and they're in love. Ooh. The best part about it is that like sometimes she tweets as Michael Jackson okay. or like makes TikToks as Michael Jackson okay. where he's just like, yeah, look, I was a pedophile. <laughs> <And> <laughs> that is somehow so much worse than I thought. Same. Oh, it is. So she also, when she's not channeling her husband, Michael Jackson, for like weird sex play stuff, she loves to channel Elvis. And she has a TikTok where she channels Elvis. And uh, he talks about how much he hates like music now. Uh, And he goes, uh, it's me, Elvis, uh, the king. And then he goes and he says what I think is the most iconic sign off. Okay. So I want to start adding this. This is what I want my sign off to be on the show. Okay. And it's just know that it's from Elvis the Ghost, okay. not living Elvis. Sure. <laughs> keep it loose, keep it tight, say your prayers at night. <laughs> <laughs> <What>? oh. <laughs>
Dude, that's my favorite thing. Okay, so here we go, guys. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure. And I just want to say, keep it loose, keep it tight, and say your present night. Thank you. Yeah! Thank you very much. <laughs>